the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome back into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner, standing in for Rob today. You want to get your calls in there? If you have a money question, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. I'll take any money question except the individual stock buy holder. So I don't think those are helpful. I think that if I like it today and I don't like it tomorrow, I'm not going to remember to go back on in there and tell you. So it doesn't really get you anywhere. So let's talk about the things that do today. First of all, talking about uh, what what are some of the things that I've seen lately that or seen over my career nearly quarter century, that makes me feel old to say that, that are really, really bad, bad, bad money mistakes. And I had a mortgage broker friend of mine, Joby in Portland, that said this once, that the more often you trade houses, spouses, and cars, the the less chances that you will have to ever retire. And that's the case. I remember talking one time to another financial advisor where we're in talks to acquire his business. It kind of came down to the point where I've got three ex-wives, he said, and I still need to save for retirement. I'm not ready to sell because he had built a great practice, but every time he got divorced, he lost a good chunk of that practice. So trading houses, spouses, and cars. What I mean by trading houses, and I did this in the past, where got into a market in the Northwest got in, built a house before anybody did in this one area, wrote it up a huge gain during, you know, 2005, six time frame, And then a better house came up and still early in the career. So it wasn't just killing it or anything like that, but really, really stretched and went into that home. And, and every time I look back on real estate decisions like that, and I saw my grandfather do this and my grandfather got me into my, this business. I mean, amazing, amazing guy. He's the best man at my wedding as well. But I learned a lot when it came to real estate, but doing what, what he, not doing what he did. It's almost like I looked back and any real estate decision that he made. And if I would have bought right when he sold, it would have been the best time to, to buy ever. For example, one of the things that he did is that he sold a home in Northeast Portland in an area now that is extremely expensive and attractive to go buy a manufactured house in a 55 and older property in Vancouver. Never ever buy manufactured homes. That's you're basically not fully owning the land. You're, you're, you're buying a depreciating asset, the bank loans. It was just a horrible, horrible decision. Um, he sold his place in Cricket River Ranch in central Oregon Cool little house on little on the property because it started to become too much to maintain, and he sold it. And then the next six years, that property, those property values went straight up. So if you're if you own a home now, maybe it's your your family's starting to outgrow it, or you're getting into a home, and you're saying, 
man, in order to buy this house, I have to stop funding my 401k. I have to stop all of my savings programs. And I'm going to endanger my financial plan to get into this. It's a bad idea. It is a horrible, horrible idea. Real estate only keeps up with stocks because of the leverage. And you're taking a lot more risk. Because if the economy does go through a downturn, the, the more time we go without a recession, the closer we are to a recession. And recessions are part of economic cycles. They're fine. But if that's the point when you lose your job, where you've exhausted your emergency reserves to get into the home, you've stopped saving in your 401k because you need to make that higher house payment, you're now a financial disaster. You'll, we'll lose everything. Your credit will be ruined, and you'll pay more for all the things that you need for the next 10 years. So move up slowly. Don't. I would say younger people, if you're listening, you get that first house. Don't buy up until you know you have saved enough money outside of that house where you can still keep that house as a rental property, have some positive cash flow, and afford the mortgage on the new house. That's when you're ready to move, and that's how people accumulate. So people that are wealthy that I've seen over time that that didn't even have massively high-paying jobs, but they were diligent savers and just bought stocks every two weeks, just accumulated stocks. They didn't try to outguess the market and say, hey, what's the best sector to own this year? And what should I sell now? Should I go all in and go out? Never met anybody wealthy that does that. Never. But they consistently saved every two weeks in stocks. And they slowly purchased real estate and always cash flow real estate. I've met flippers that go through periods of time that they're very wealthy on paper, and then they go through a boom-bust cycle. Um, when it comes to real estate, the people I've met just accumulate positive cash flow rental properties over time that somebody else has eventually paid off for them. Then they go into retirement. They've saved a bunch of money in stocks. They have almost enough income between Social Security and pension and, and their real estate. They don't even touch their portfolios because they... <laughs> my generation is scary. I think millennials are better than my generation. My generation had this entitlement issue that basically people got out of college and say, I deserve the same car my parents have. I deserve the same house my parents have. You're only 25 years old. You don't. You don't get that yet. Where millennials are like, I'm just going to live at home for a while so I can save money and I'll spend my excess money on vacations and experiences. And I think that's, that's kind of cool. Anyways, don't trade houses, spouses, and cars too much. Um, and I'll tell you personally, I had never until December 31st of 2017, I'd never purchased a brand new car, ever. I've always bought cars um, on the, the cars that I like. I'll, I'll let somebody else lease it for two or three years, and then I'll buy it. And I've always saved twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 of depreciation. Well, somebody else I know negotiated this amazing Costco deal on a new... I. I to a boat. That's where I waste my money and family's money is on, on wake surfing, avid wake surfers. And so I went in on a Costco deal and bought a car, a new car for the first time that I've ever, because the deal was, it just made sense. I also needed the tax deduction. I, I'm still regretting it. It's four months later and I still am regretting it because every time the kids get picked up for soccer, there's mud everywhere. When you first get the car, you're like, ah, nobody can eat in the car. We're going to keep this one nice. And then all of a sudden you're in a rush because you have three kids going to three different places in, the, in, in a half an hour and somebody's eating in the back seat. And last week I found a Jamba Juice that was four days old in the back of the car, sitting in the cup holder molding. It's like, oh my God, what's the point of a new car? So I'll, I'll probably never do that again because it's a depreciating asset. Uh, so houses, spouses, and buying new cars. Also, I would say 
I used to say, you know, buy a used car off a, a lease. If you're going to do something new, and especially if it's electrical, I would say lease every single time because technology is changing so fast. If you buy that car, it's going to depreciate faster than the older cars. That's also another area of debt bubbling in the United States is bad auto loans. People are taking eight-year car loans, and cars are so upside down by the time they trade it in. They go through two or three trade-ins, and they're so upside down on these vehicles. It just never makes sense. So car loans and student debt, that's the area of debt issues that we have in this country at the personal level. So there's a major difference that I've noted. For those that don't ever sell real estate, and they never overextend themselves. One of the best money managers I met early in my career drove a 1985 Honda Civic with a dent on the side, and he was worth millions and millions of dollars. He just didn't like to put his money into something like that. He liked to accumulate stocks, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, accumulating assets that pay you on a quarter-by-quarter basis. That's how you continue to get to retirement. Now, if you don't have enough money, access money to do that, maybe it's investing in yourself and your education to say, I'm going to come up with a five-year plan of education and working nights or going to school at nights so I can learn something new, so I can make more money to have more money to save. That might be your first investment. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Deborah, and Certified Financial Standing in for Rob, and we'll be together though May third, Cupertino Juniper Hotel. May third, it's an evening event, retirement income strategy. So if you want to know how to set up your portfolio going into retirement, that's the event you do not want to miss. And I'll talk a little bit later in the show on uh, six retirement tests, and really a seventh that we're going to add, which is more of a psychological test. We'll get into that a little bit later on if you're ready to retire. I'll post today on the New Focus Financial Facebook page a really good article from Forbes that it talks about 10 financial choices you'll regret in 10 years. I was talking about the real estate choices that often people regret, which is if they get into this habit, especially during an upcycle of real estate of every couple of years, swapping into that bigger house where they let the old house go because they need that equity. They want to get into that nicer house, nicer house, nicer house. Eventually, they find themselves in a home where they can't afford to put any money into their 401k. And if you go through some sort of a financial crisis, a recession is one thing, but every so often, every seven to 10 years, we get into a crisis mode, that big 20% dip in the stock market because of an economic issue that people weren't thinking about. It usually comes from something people weren't thinking about. And then if you end up losing that house, you'll have nothing to show for it, and you potentially be unemployed, and you'll potentially have bad credit. So those 10 things that they talked about that you'll regret is starting your budget way too late. That's kind of a no-brainer. Not paying off your credit cards each month. Sometimes that happens because people get busy. Speaking of credit cards, what about your insurance? We had somebody that we know that went on a sabbatical, and they forgot to auto-pay their homeowner's insurance. And while they were gone, a uh, pipe broke upstairs and flooded the entire house, but they went past 30 days on the time frame of paying for their homeowner's insurance, and it technically expired. So they're still dealing with that issue. Blindly buying a financial product without investigating first. This happens all the time. This is such an epidemic in America that the Department of Labor tried to pass the fiduciary rule. 
well, the past, it's just being fought by the awful brokerage industry and insurance industry out there. The people that like to sell you annuities and they like to earn 5 to 7% commission, they're really good at fighting this law so far. And these variable annuities, annuities, there's there's a certain window where some no-load or commission-free annuities are good for people from the age of like 55 to 75 as a bond alternative. Annuities are the most horrible way to try to build wealth. They're a big pile of garbage to build wealth. Never buy an annuity when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and even early 50s. They're, they're, the fees are high. They're horrible when it comes to comparing them against just buying index funds. Some of them charge 3% to 3.5% a year in fees. On hundred grand. that's $3,500 a year. It's an epidemic. People are already undersaved for retirement, and there's these... Uh, and I know I came up out of that industry. I, that's why I started a fee-only practice, because I got into the industry through my grandfather and commission world, and I didn't like it. I didn't like salesmen when it came to financial advice. So you can't... You have to investigate what you're investing in, because the fees are often quite high. Make sure you know how people get paid. Also, putting your emergency fund on the back burner. We talked about that because some people use their emergency fund to get into that next house or buy that brand new car that you can't afford, which is number five. And then something bad happens. Like, Good thing I'm not in a, an industry where I have to be able to really walk normal right now. Last Monday, tore my MCL snowboarding. Not all the way through, so it will heal. But you, know, you got to have the disability insurance, especially if you need your body to work. Um, so you have to make sure that you insure your biggest asset, which is your ability to earn money. Also, once people are trying to be a do-it-yourself investor and they get sucked into paying for charts, paying for classes, um, trying to learn how to day trade, 99% of the time people are going to drastically regret those decisions and wasting money on it. Not reviewing your insurance, not asking for discounts on things like your cable bill every couple of months. Every couple of months, every time my, my cable goes out, I try to remember to call Comcast and threaten to leave and ask for a better deal, a better package. This is a great one from Forbes. Their number eight on this list of 10 is treating your retirement like a distant cousin. Like, you know, I really liked growing up with my my distant second cousin, we had good times at the family reunion. I should probably call and talk to my second cousin. It's been like 10 years. I wonder how they're doing. And people treat their retirement like that. I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. You can start saving 10% when you're right out of school and retire at 65. If you've waited till you're 40 to start saving, you're going to have to save 20% of your income just to be able to retire at 70 it's a much harder task to do, especially once you have kids and college and other life goals and plans. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Jack in Fremont. Jack, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Chad? Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I had a question about uh, prepaying my mortgage down versus investing that capital. Um, so I have a 2.875 15-year fix right now. Okay. How old are you, Jack? Uh, 43. 43? I would definitely not pay down a mortgage at age 43. What do you, How long do you want to live in that home? Um, I don't know. When, when we bought it 15 years back, I thought it's just going to be five years, but here we are 15 years later, so um, not sure. <laughs> That's such, you, you, you said 2.85 on a 15-year loan? 
2.875. I mean, that that's cheap money. And in five or six years, that rate is going to blow your mind. Now, if you were 65 and it made you feel better and sleep easier at night to pay off your home as you go into retirement, it's probably not much of a tax deduction for you at that point, and you might pay it off. But at 40, I mean, at your age, don't sell that place. I mean, you'll be able to, if, if you save enough money to get into your next home outside of that house, and then you upgrade your home sometime later down the road, maybe you get a, a real estate crisis in the Bay Area at some point again down the road, and it gives you the opportunity to upgrade your home. You keep that one as a rental property because the money's super cheap. Somebody else will pay off that loan for you. You'll go into retirement. You'll have rental income that will increase at 2% a year at least, and it's passive income. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I would not pay off your home at that age. Okay. Are you maxing okay. out your 401k? Are you maxing out a Roth IRA? Are you doing all those other things? Um, That's way more attractive yeah. than paying yeah. off your home. Um, max out the 401k. Unfortunately, I'm not eligible for a Roth. Are you doing a backdoor IRA, Roth IRA? Um, no, I did that once a couple of years back. Am I allowed to do that every year? Yeah, as long as you don't have other IRA accounts, you should be able to do that every year, and it'll be tax-free. So what I would probably do right now is fund your 2017 non-deductible IRA if you haven't filed your taxes yet. Then turn around, also fund your 2018 non-deductible IRA, wait a month or two, convert it to a Roth, and as long as you don't own any other IRAs, that's a tax-free event. You'll end up with basically $11,000 in a Roth IRA. And it's just that backdoor crazy amount of paperwork that we have to do to be able to, to fund Roth IRAs when you make too much money to directly do it. Thanks for the call. If you want to get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. We'll be back. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Got a tear in my eye right now. Forecasting is hard. And what I'm talking about is not the stock market right now, because I'll pretty much stick by for the next hundred years. Market will, stocks will probably return somewhere between nine to eleven percent. Seventy percent of the time they'll be positive. Thirty percent of the time they'll be negative. It's that that's true. But what you can't expect is Jesus late snow that we're getting. Five inches overnight, North Star. I'm on a lot of alerts for different. Like Mount Hood is near our Vancouver, Washington office. Vancouver, Washington, of course across the river from Portland, Oregon, six inches of powder overnight. And I tore my ACL or MCL last weekend. And I can't go. I'm sad. But those that are still on spring break are enjoying some late snow. So man, get up there and go for me. Speaking of forecasts, I was talking about earlier today at some point, I don't even know when it kind of rambled on, but online retirement calculators, they're awful because Unless you're you're using them for motivation to start saving to realize how far you are behind, in order to make real good financial decisions, they're terrible because, number one, you have to pick a single rate of return to use for your entire life, and most people choose a return that's too high, and they don't realize that as you age, you'll become more conservative. So, online retirement calculators are really bad. When we tell people... I've had people say, hey, can I just... Uh, you know." buy a couple of hours of your time to check out my numbers and see if it's okay for me to retire. It's more than a couple hours of time. 
this is the biggest financial decision you're going to make in your life. Going into retirement is some for some people mentally harder than going through a divorce or becoming an empty nester because you go from working 60 hours a week, 40 to 60 hours a week and being always wanted at work for your expertise to stop working. So you go from where's he to who's he or where's she to who's she. And then you have a limited resource to live off of instead of funding your portfolio all the time. So it's huge transition and people sometimes become hermits and get very depressed. Retirement depression is very, very common, and people are very afraid to talk about it. Start, you, you got to have, I, I've got a blog up at the New Focus Financial Group Facebook page, or you can just go to chadburton.com under the resources and go to blogs. And there's six retirement tests that we go through before we say, yes, it's okay, you can retire, you're going to be fine. We really need a seventh in there to talk about how you prepare mentally and practice going into retirement. So you have something that drives you every day, something you're passionate about, something that motivates you to get out of bed besides work. If you're a workaholic, you really need to transition into retirement and really careful thought um, on what you're going to do. But of course, the first test is you start with your expenses. So let's look at your expenses. What have you put in there? And a lot of times things like budget, ridiculous. I have people that have been working full time. They're getting ready to retire. They haven't taken a real vacation for 10 years and they still think it costs $5,000 to take a family of four to, to Hawaii. That's not going to happen. Good luck with that. Um, so start with your expenses and then what about, oh yeah, you're, you're never going to remodel your house again. You're never going to buy another new car. What about your insurance expenses? Well, I get on Medicare. No, you're still going to have $600 a month of medical costs on average throughout your retirement. So you really have to look at that. And then what are you going to do in retirement? So you might golf more. You might uh, you know, travel more. What are you going to do? All of that has to go into your expenses. So that's the first test is really analyzing your expenses based on the lifestyle that you want. Then the first test is with the linear cash flow model. And this is the first place that people make mistakes. You need to be like a corporation when it comes to your retirement planning and your projections. You need to be very conservative, almost like Cisco was famous for, where they really dumb down their their estimates or lower their expectations so they could easily beat them every quarter. You kind of need to do that with your retirement. But now the numbers are kind of coming true based on the decade that we just went through. So if you look at the last decade, say from 2007 through 2017, that was a tough time. You had the credit crisis and you had interest rates that are very, very low on the later half of that decade. What do you go into retirement with? A balanced portfolio. So people that are retired, their stocks went up, but their interest on their bonds was cut by two thirds. And a global diversified balanced portfolio had an average return over that period of time of about five to five and a half percent with inflation running at about 2%. So what you should do when your initial cash flow test, when you're trying to say, can I retire is only use a five and a half percent rate of return. Because what if we have that same type of a, a repeat of history in the next 10 years or even the next 20 years where returns are mediocre and stocks returns have been fine over that period of time, but you have bonds, you have cash. What if, so are you going to be able to withstand that? Do you have enough money to last till the day you die at a five and a half percent rate of return on your investments and 2.6% inflation, 5% inflation on your healthcare costs? And the next test 
is what is now your tolerance for risk? Because even to get that number, you know you're going to have to go at least somewhere between 50 and 65% in equities these days because bonds are paying so low in order to get that number. Now, have numbers been better? Yes. I mean, last year, a balanced portfolio would have returned like north of 14%. So you'll have better times in this, but you got to, you, you can't retire until you can make it through tough periods. So can you, how, how is your portfolio set up versus what your risk tolerance is? And as you retire, especially a data retirement, your risk tolerance will become much lower. So are you invested based on how you score on your risk tolerance? You can take the, what is your risk number at our website to get started on a portfolio review to see how you're invested versus your risk number. So check that out at chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. But are you invested properly? That's test number two. Test number three, that's where you get into your expenses, minus your Social Security and your pensions, and maybe even some real estate income. How much are you going to be drawing from your portfolio? And do you have that amount of money in safe, safe assets like FDIC-insured cash, money markets, Capital One 360, Synchrony Bank, nothing more than a one-year CD? Make sure you have that. That's your buffer to get you through stock market declines. You'll have periods of time where you go through market declines that tend to last three to seven years from the top down to the bottom, back up to the recovery phase. And cash is king during those periods of time. You have to have that three years of cash on the sidelines. That's test number three. Test number four is once you have reallocated your assets to the proper asset allocation that matches your risk tolerance, you've created the cash to get through retirement, then you take a look at what's called Monte Carlo simulation, where Technology will look through to your underlying assets, your age, how much you're withdrawing out of your portfolio each year, and it will run thousands of different stock market, interest rate, longevity, inflation scenarios. The order of stock market returns is huge in retirement, whether or not they come first or because you go through periods where a great decade, mediocre decade, bad decade. One of the worst things that can happen is that bad decade comes towards the end of your retirement years where you're drawing the most out. So Monte Carlo simulation will run thousands and thousands of different scenarios to give you a probability of success. And you do not want to retire unless you've met the test number one at the linear cash flow and on test number four for Monte Carlo simulation, you want 85% success rate where of all the different scenarios that the computer runs, 85% of the time or more, you're going to be okay. Because the other 15% probability, the withdrawal strategy that we use to rebalance portfolios, peel off the gains during the good quarter to replenish the cash that you've spent, you you can't really simulate that. But we know that'll get you through the tough times, because I've been talking about that with Rob on radio since 1999. So it's worked through major, major corrections twice now. It was developed based on research that I looked at from Professor Breen and all sorts of people in the past. So, it's worked twice. Uh, then you look at taxes. What can you do to even increase your your probability of success by really controlling your tax brackets, such as doing things like, where are you going to draw the money from first? Are you going to do partial Roth conversions, where you take some of your money out of your IRA each year, the first five years of retirement, and convert it to a Roth at a very low bracket? Which accounts should you draw from first? Right now, everybody's thinking about filing their tax return. And when you're working, you're always, how can I pay the least amount of taxes today? In retirement, you have to take a long-term view and say, I'm going to be retired for 30 to 40 years. 
how can I reduce my taxes over that entire period of time versus just this year? Because if you do it every year, you want the lowest tax bracket possible. What will happen is once you hit over 70 and a half and you have to take required minimum distributions from your IRAs, you'll lose control of your bracket altogether and you'll be at a very high bracket. You put yourself in a bad situation. And then finally, number six, you do some long-term care simulations. How many of you have known a family member that's gone into a nursing home? My grandparents, my father, grandfather got me into this business. He passed away from basically kidney failure over time. But my grandmother spent six years in memory care and exhausted all of their assets. So what happens in your situation? What if... I've had people get early onset Alzheimer's and go in for six, seven years, and that really put the their surviving spouse in a tough situation. So what's going to happen? Because that's something that Medicare and Medicaid don't cover. Or Medicaid does cover if you spend down and you exhaust all your assets and you're in poverty. So what's your situation there? 70% chance if you turn 70, you'll spend some time in a nursing home. So six tests plus the seventh, that's really, are you mentally ready to retire? Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't forget to sign up for the event May 3rd. Rob Black and I are going to be at Cupertino Retirement Income Strategies. Go to chadburton.com to sign up. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Want to find me? Go to chadburton.com, the team of certified financial planner practitioners. If you want to shoot me an email question for the show, do the show 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And I'll love answering your email questions on there. I'll even let you know when I'm going to answer them in case you don't catch it. You can always catch the podcast. One of the things I've talked about before is this Department of Labor rule. And states and the government and the SEC is all trying to stop the sale of really bad products to people. You know, sometimes there's a time when you change a job and you have a 401k. Sometimes it's better to roll it into your new 401k versus an IRA. But if people are paid on incentive programs or paid commissions, they will not give you that good advice. They will not give you the advice that you're supposed to get. They will not act as a fiduciary. Uh, not too long ago, the Massachusetts Security Division charged Scott Trade with violating the impartial conduct standards laid out in the Department of Labor fiduciary rule because they paid agents in this contest in connection to retirement assets. How, do, how does that make you feel that people are in sales contests regarding your retirement assets? That is garbage. That, that causes people to be really good salesmen to get you into products that aren't in your best interest. So how do you tell what the case? First of all, how do you get paid? Is there a clear fee structure, either a percentage of assets or a flat fee or an hourly fee? How do you get paid? You don't want any commission involved. You, can, you know where if somebody approaches you and they call themselves a financial advisor, unfortunately, there's too many ways that they're allowed to call themselves financial advisors instead of a fee-only certified financial planner practitioner. If people approach you, hey, here's a free, I'll give you a free financial plan, a free retirement analysis. But at the end of that analysis, it's, oh, by the way, you should get this life insurance product this annuity, this loaded mutual fund, this really high fee investment package. That's, that's, that's a sales process. It's not a free financial plan. If people approach you as an insurance, as an investment, if you get somebody that tells you that they, you should invest in this index life insurance product instead of your 401k, 
before you max out your your 401k and your Roth IRA, you should buy this index life insurance contract because it's got cash value and you can't lose money on it when the market goes down, but you can get some of the money when the market goes up and it's tax-free income at retirement. If that's their first go-to pitch, they're an insurance agent. They are a life insurance agent trying to sell you something. Now, I love my life insurance agent. I'm still licensed in insurance. I have an insurance consulting license as well. Um, my life insurance agent, I call him every once in a while and say, hey, I need new buy-sell insurance. My business value has gone up. In case I die, I want to make sure my family's protected and there's a plan for my business, right? We need life insurance agents, but they shouldn't be doing retirement planning for people. They really shouldn't. Especially those that that really, there's a book, Missed Fortune, that talks about First, it was taking money out of your home and buying index life insurance. And then now it's these seminars that go around the Bay Area talking about stop putting money into the 401k. It's a scam. Put it into this life insurance instead. They're making 50% of what you put into that in the first year in commissions typically. If people in, especially these days with interest rates so low and taxes changing, if you are going to a bank or brokerage firm and they don't even talk to you about potentially paying down debt or changing to a lower cost structure in your investment portfolio and instead they go straight for selling you an annuity, you're not getting financial advice. You're being sold. We are so far behind in this country in this. In the UK and Australia and other places like that, there are so much more strict guidelines on what people can do in the world of retirement planning. So we're, we're behind on that. Unfortunately, the DOL rule is not implemented properly. The insurance industry is truly fighting it brokerage firms that like to sell like non-traded REITs and all these garbage products, they're fighting it as well. So it's up to you. You got to protect yourself. Sounds too good to be true. It probably is. If you're not sure what the fee structure is, either don't move forward or get some major clarity when it comes to that. A couple other things we're going to talk about today. Boy, don't have a lot of time left, so I'll just give two minutes on it. Because I've been often asked, what do I like better, passive investing, which is index investing, versus active? I actually like them both. Um, most large cap and mid cap managers in the United States underperform their benchmarks. So when I put together portfolios, I like indexing for my large cap and mid cap in the United States. I like a mix of index and active in my small cap space, and I like mostly active managers non non index approach for my international emerging markets because of things like currency issues and politics and like in China I don't want to own an index fund that owns broadly all of these companies in China that are half of which are actually run by state entities or that's basically a quasi communistic capitalistic government I don't want to just blindly own all the companies in China I would rather have a manager, yeah, the fees are higher. If you look at an index fund, international, typically it's around half a percent or slightly less. A managed fund internationally is usually around 1%. So you're paying more, but the returns are always quoted net of fees. Keep that in mind. And the proper way to look at it is through a full market cycle, not just a bull run of four or five, six years, but through a full 10 year plus market cycle. How is that manager done? Because usually they end up earning all of their higher fees during more difficult times when it becomes more of a stock picker market, more of a concentration on quality versus all tides rising. So I like them both. Don't put yourself in a box. 
Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, iTunes for the podcast. It's all there at chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.